from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast, where we sometimes veer off the serial killer path to delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. Special thanks to my patrons who voted for this episode. Thank you so much. You are truly appreciated. And for anyone else, please feel free to join my patrons so that you can vote on who will be covered next or get early access to the podcasts. Like, share, and subscribe. It might just help our little community grow. So today's podcast was voted for by patrons and will be on the pedophile cannibal puppeteer, Ronald William Brown. This one is coming with a major disclaimer because this guy was no joke. There are transcripts of conversations that he had with others through online chats about children and what he wanted to do with them that are extremely disturbing. And usually I would never read those aloud because I find them beyond disgusting, but I think I should probably read at least some of them to you because I want you to get just how sick this man really was in his mind. So here is your disclaimer disclaimer. You can sit this one out. No worries at all. Okay, let's get started. Ronald William Brown was born on July 11th, 1955 in Alabama. I want to start off by saying that, guys, I have never had to dig as deep for a case as I did this one. I realized pretty quickly that my regular avenues of finding information was not going to cut it. So I did my rarely used kind of backdoor sort of methods to really dig deep for information on this guy and his childhood with zero luck. I dug into court records and even paid, with my own money, a county clerk in the state of Florida where Ron's criminal case was tried to get all of the documents that would be publicly available and the response I got back was that those were not filed in that county. I even attempted to contact the very lawyer that represented the United States against him to no avail, but I wanted you guys to know that I really tried, more so and harder than I ever have. I did find a few things that not everyone else has talked about in their content, but still not near enough to satisfy me on the personal level. I just wanted every single one of you to know that I really did try as hard as I possibly could, but I can at least tell you the story of what is known. So Ron was adopted, and he later stated that he knew nothing of his birth parents, I did find a document where the U.S. Marshals were picking him up from the jail to take him to federal prison, which is the only reason why I was able to find out what his birth date was and the state he was born in, which did show Alabama. Since he later said he had lived his whole life in Florida, well, that leads one to believe that he was probably adopted as an infant and taken to Florida by his adoptive parents, if that is indeed where they resided. 
Then finding out who his adoptive parents were by name was obviously impossible. I searched U.S. Census information. I had a couple of listeners who have paid for deeper access to Ancestry sites dig, and they couldn't find anything either. And shout out to you guys. Thank you. This was extremely frustrating to me. So not only could I not find his parents' name, I also couldn't find out if he had been raised with any siblings, adopted, or otherwise. I did actually try to look on one of those sort of shady background check websites, you know, the ones that make you pay money to find criminal records on people, which I wasn't going to pay for, but believe it or not, I actually did get a small hit. There was a Ronald William Brown who was attached to a William Brown, a Thomas Brown, and an Anne Brown, and it is, of course, quite common for a son to take his father's name in some form, and in this case, to take his father's first name as his middle name. But again, I'm not 100% on this. The birth year was one year off, so take that as you will. Regardless, he was raised on the more eastern side of Florida, and it appeared to be around the Tampa area. Outside of this, guys, we have nothing. There's no childhood information on Ron whatsoever. We can't know how he was treated by his adoptive parents, how he got along with any siblings, if he had any siblings at all. We can't even get a temperature on what genetics could have possibly been passed down to him from either of his birth parents either, So that leaves us with no nature and no nurture to try to get an idea of how or why he turned out to be the person that he did. And if you've been with me for a while, you will know how deeply this bothers me. Usually, if I can tell that a case is not going to have near enough information to give you guys at least a generic full picture, I will move on to a different case. But there was just something about this one that I could not let go of. How does a person, even adopted, just have nothing out there? I'm quite certain that he didn't just appear on the earth, adopted, and then show up to take two years of college. I couldn't find out anything about his school years, his peers, teachers, any information from anyone that knew him in any capacity before he was college age. So if you are listening to this and you happen to know anything about this man prior to his mid-20s, Please, for my own sanity, reach out and tell me what you know. If it needs to be anonymous, clearly, I will keep it that way. So the very beginning of his life that I was able to find is that he went to college for two years. But which college? I don't know. And what he studied is also a mystery, but possibly ventriloquism or puppetry, because that would be his profession for the rest of his life. Now, Ron would later admit on a still-active website called CuteDeadGuys.net that he had, since his youth, but who knows how young, a strong interest in necrophilia. And for those that might, just by chance, not know, or my international listeners who aren't familiar with the term, necrophilia is an abnormal sexual attraction to or performing sexual acts involving dead human bodies. So in 1978, at 23 years old, he began journaling where he recorded his day-to-day activities, which also included writings about his obsession with various young boys throughout the years. It was never stated plainly, but what was rather heavily hinted at was that Ron was gay and he never married. 
He had zero criminal history and had always been employed. There were also no signs of any drug or alcohol abuse. Court documents would state this as fact. Where the story truly begins is in the mid-1980s. The now late 20s or very early 30s, Ron became a major cast member on a Christian local television show called Joy Junction out of Florida, broadcasted on the Christian television network in front of a live studio audience. He was a puppeteer and ventriloquist, and he wasn't particularly great at it as he didn't seem to bother trying to not move his mouth too hard, but, you know, the children did find him entertaining. The show itself was sort of something like the world-famous Sesame Street, but mixed with a children's game show to teach children about God and the Bible. Ron, whose character was known as the Professor, would come out with his puppet, a rather creepy-looking doll of a kid he called Marty. Together, the Professor and Marty would tell stories about various things to teach children lessons about morality. Here is a sample of one such story. The sound quality isn't great, but listen to the moral lesson Ron is teaching his very young audience. And when I got over there, I noticed that some of the kids were kind of giggling and laughing, you know? And I wondered why they were doing that. Well, why were they doing it? Well, they said, Marty, come over here and take a look at our pictures. So I walked on over there and I took a look. And do you know what it was? What was it, Marty? Well, it was in Arizona, I'll tell you that right now. Ron, they were looking at some dirty pictures and they wanted me to look too. Well, Marty, what did you do? Well, I said, look guys, I like you a lot and I want to play with you, but I can't look at those pictures. I just can't do it. Well, what did they say, Marty? They said, oh, Marty, come on. Your parents are in the house. No one will see. Well, what did you say? I said, that may be true, but I know someone who will see, and that's God. That's right, Marty. You know, that kind of reminds me of a, a verse I'm thinking of in the Bible that's found in 2 Timothy 2.22. And it says that you should run away from anything that will give you evil thoughts. And as your companions, you should have friends who have pure and clean thoughts and will only give you good ideas. Well, you know what I decided to do? What's that, Marty? I decided to turn around and go right back home. Well, Marty, I'm real proud of you. Now, just how long this children's show went on is yet another mystery. Because of Ron and his crimes, there has been a renewed interest, and so far, about 18 episodes have been recovered or found. So perhaps Joy Junction ran for a year or two? I could be wrong. And then after, there is no information on Ron. None. Sources say he started a puppeteering company in 1992 and then later a website he called Puppets Plus that he ran where he advertised his services for birthday parties for small children, church functions, and traveled to do puppet shows at malls, other churches, and elementary schools. He even offered workshops to teach children how to do puppeteering. And it must have been somewhat lucrative because he was at least able to support himself. It was later found that, in 1993, 38-year-old Ron began writing in his journals that he had become obsessed with one boy in particular who attended Dunedin Middle School, I believe it's pronounced, 
and he admitted that he would repeatedly drive past areas he knew this boy would be just so he would be able to see him. The journals went on to say that he also, quote, liked another boy, but, quote, got mad at him for losing interest in puppets. So fast forward to 1998, five years later, the now 43-year-old Ron was driving around in his car one day when he was pulled over by a police officer for just a small traffic violation. And while the officer was going through the usual motions, asking the usual questions and so on during what should have been a nothing special traffic stop, his eyes did a quick scan inside the car and he suddenly noticed what appeared to be a pair of young boys' underwear just haphazardly stuffed between the front seats. The officer asked Ron about them, and Ron explained that they were specifically for his puppets, you know, that he dressed the puppets in children's underwear for specific skits during his puppet shows. But this must have satisfied the officer, considering it should have been easy enough to verify that Ron was in that business, and he let him go. And Ron continued to live his life. Sources stated that he also performed at Tampa Bay Rays games and at the Florida Botanical Gardens, according to pictures on his Facebook page, which now seems to have been removed. He had lived in a decent trailer park in Largo, Florida, on the East Coast. It didn't seem to be one of those, you know, more skeevy trailer parks. From the pictures I saw, the park itself seemed to be kept up, the landscaping not too bad, the trailers themselves kind of nice and he was so very close to the beach. He was involved with the youth of his local community and his church. Ron actually attended what was then called the Gulf Coast Church and volunteered for many years in the youth ministry area. And again, the children really seemed to like him. You see, he also volunteered to drive the church van, gather the children and bring them to and from church and back home. And it also appears that he would invite all of the neighborhood children in the trailer park over to his house for pizza every Wednesday night before evening church. And the parents trusted him to do so, found him to be quite charitable to do this for the kids. Dozens of parents trusted Brown to bring their children to church every Wednesday. Later on his Facebook, Ron displayed a picture of a child whom he said he mentored weekly, stating, quote, We visit parks and go many places. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And yet, according to one of the residents in the neighborhood, Ron would never associate with or really even speak to any other adults, as in ever. And as I said, as much as I searched, I couldn't find anyone who had made a statement regarding having seen Ron interacting with anyone other than children. Mostly, it was said that the residents would watch as the children would gather at Ron's place, arriving on their bikes and skateboards, and wait for him to come home for the day. 
And it is important to point out that the children in the neighborhood themselves would later say that Ron had never abused them in any way. One of the children's grandmothers said she had felt completely comfortable sending her grandson with Ron in the church van because Ron was known as the, quote, cotton candy and snow cone man. He often handed out treats to neighborhood kids, and really, most people would feel pretty good about a man who seemed to be good to children, who drove the church van full of kids to and from church, who didn't mind the neighborhood kids being around because at least they knew where their kids were. But side note, for me and my children personally, that would have flown over like a lead balloon. I would have been very suspicious of him based on him not interacting with adults and all, but you know, I digress. With what limited information we have, we get a very sort of cloudy, murky picture of an unassuming man who was quietly gay, at least didn't live out in the open that way, who didn't seem to have much of any personal life outside of his puppeteering, entertaining children, being involved in his church, and that's about it. If he had any friends, none came forward. Any family he had has also not come forward and said one word that I could ever find. He kept to himself was quiet. I mean, I don't really know what else there is to say. So now we will have to sort of change tracks. I have to give you a little backstory to get you up to speed with Ron's crimes. Okay, now the United States Immigration and Customs Enforcement's Homeland Security Investigations created a team they called Operation Holitna. I think that's how it's pronounced. This group was gathered to investigate not only nationally within the United States, but also an international child sex abuse and pornography network. In 2009, Operation Holitna discovered an international child pornography network, starting with a man by the name of Robert DeDuca, a then 47-year-old man from Massachusetts who had mistakenly sent a federal agent a photograph of an abused 18-month-old toddler. Within only a couple of years, they had identified and arrested several men in this ring and identified literally hundreds of abused and exploited children. With every person they discovered and arrested, it would open yet another vein of information and names of individuals within this ring, names from countries across the globe and varying degrees of absolute depravity. The market for these abuses of children is indescribable, unimaginable, and even people like us who have heard some of the worst still can't really fathom just how bad it can be and how bad it is. And now we've come to the moment where I have to give you the big disclaimer again, okay? Though I do not and will not enjoy what I've made my job to describe to you, I am about to get into the really triggering stuff, okay? Guys, you've been warned. This is why I don't censor myself. This is why I don't use YouTube anymore. Okay, here we go. Operation Holitna also discovered that Robert from Massachusetts was in communication with a man in Kansas City, Kansas, the then 38-year-old Michael Arnett. Michael, as many other offenders himself, not only distributed child sexual abuse and pornographic content, which also included deceased children, but he produced some of the material himself. 
The authorities were able to identify his work due to identifying physical markers that showed it was being made in the Kansas City area. Two of the photographs he took were of a naked two-year-old boy in a roasting pan inside of an oven, one with the oven door open and one with the oven door shut. So in 2012, Michael was arrested and very quickly gave over five other men's names, one of which was Ronald William Brown. And really, a rather quick and simple forensic examination of Michael's computer produced chat logs he was having with Ron in 2011 under a few different usernames on the old Yahoo IM program. These two men were discussing, according to court documents, quote, extremely graphic kidnapping, sexually abusing, murdering, and eating of children, end quote. Those chat logs, the sections I could find, some of them I will read to you now. Again, brace yourselves. Michael, I have some pics of Linda and one of her friends shaving down a little toddler piglet they caught. Ron, how are you? Michael, good you? Doing well. Michael, and C? Side note, C is the initial of a young boy from Ron's church that Ron had become obsessed with. Ron responded, sadly, he is doing well. I wish I had him tied and gagged in the closet. Michael, he would make a fine Easter feast. Ron, yes, his thighs and butt cheeks would be fantastic for Easter. Michael, I agree. You could be spending today parting him out, getting a pan ready for the butt and thighs. Ron, I would have time to do it today if only I had him. I would have been up all night enjoying him. Michael, I'm sure, telling him about what his last day as a boy would entail. Ron, I imagine his eyes would just about be ready to bug out. Michael, wet with tears, so scared and helpless. Ron, probably trembling, trying to imagine his body being cut up and eaten. Michael, thinking of how much it will hurt to be chopped up. Ron, I can assure him that he won't feel a thing because he will be dead by then. Maybe I can tell him he is a big boy now and will be able to take it. I could give him a choice on how he wants to go. Michael, that would be nice of you. Give him choices, all of which end in him being cut up and eaten. Ron, I could ask him how he wants each cut of his body to be done and then label it for him with a black marker. Michael, yum, nice idea. See how he reacts to that. Ron, yeah, maybe a dotted line around the base of his, I'm not saying that, with an arrow and label cut here. Michael, that would get him trembling knowing you were going to cut off his boy part. Ron, just having my, just having my fingers on it would terrify him. Michael, get a pair of scissors and put it between the blades. Pinch it between them. He'll be terrified. Oh my God, that is enough of that conversation for me. Okay, so Ron discussed how he wanted an updated picture of the boy C because he liked to, quote, look at the meat when I am home too, end quote. Ron fantasized about having a picture of C in a bathing suit showing off his chest and, quote, tummy, Michael goes on to talk about how the little boy's meat will be cooked up in the morning once the main course is over. 
Days and days, these men go on and on about abusing, cooking, and consuming children. Ron says that he believes he can handle the snuff, meaning the murdering of the child, easily enough, but the catch and butcher would be the hard part. They discuss strangulation versus suffocation, pros and cons. Michael admits to Ron that he drowned his last victim, a little girl that had been small but had put up a good fight. Michael said, quote, she looked like a little pink frog kicking her legs under the water, end quote, and ended the sentence with a smiley face. Ron was very much enjoying this story as Michael said she was, quote, just a yearling. He said, quote, she was better off being eaten anyhow rather than growing up any longer as another trailer park brat, end quote. They discussed tying up children, binding them with their limbs behind their backs. They talked in technicolor detail about the pictures they were exchanging of children being harmed in every single conceivable way and then the cooking and consuming of those children. Michael told Ron that he should hunt his prey in the trailer parks and low-income housing complexes because they are, quote, great breeding grounds for even small ones who aren't as well watched according to court documents. The authorities found a couple of email addresses belonging to Ron. One was even listed in the 2011 through 2012 Pinellas County School District listed as a puppetry speaker for grades K through 8. From there, it was nothing to find this physical address in Largo, Florida. More digging around found Ron's profile on the necrophilia group site that I had mentioned before, where they found a post from him. He wrote, quote, I love them young and dead. I enjoy them fresh, but like to see them displayed in their casket, too. End quote. On July 9, 2012, the United States Immigration and Customs Enforcement's Homeland Security Investigations Team out of Tampa, Florida, obtained and executed a warrant for Ron's home. They also brought with them the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office as well as the Largo Police Department. They knocked on the door but did force their way in and found Ron quickly enough and immediately removed him from the home, placed him on the ground, and put him in handcuffs. The authorities then seized all of his electronic devices, any removable storage drives, and searched the nooks, the crannies, everything. On his computer, he had images saved of children bound in extremely uncomfortable and pornographic poses. Some appeared to be deceased. In Ron's sock drawer, they found a CD with child porn on it as well as a missing child poster. A missing child poster in his sock drawer. Ron admitted to having these sick and disgusting conversations with a few different people online and was a member of a Yahoo group centered around strangulation. And yet Ron explained that they were just fantasy, nothing more, and that he had never, nor would he ever, act on them. He admitted to the chats with Michael. He admitted that, quote, if I were going to eat someone, I would probably eat C. Why? I don't know. End quote. And yes, C and his parents were notified of this. So he is aware. So he reiterated that it was just fantasy and that he would never actually hurt anyone. 
Ron told the authorities that Michael had, in fact, traveled to Florida to meet him so that they could abduct a child, but Ron had been too shy and too scared and backed out of meeting him because he didn't really actually want to hurt anyone. Ron also openly admitted to speaking with another individual in Germany, and that was who had sent him the bulk of his stash. When they asked him about the CD, he said that he had forgotten he had that and that he must have had that for years. Right, for years, guys. He said he wasn't really interested in the child porn images and was much more into the deceased children media and morgue photos. So in total, the raid that law enforcement conducted recovered over 200 child pornography images over 100 photos of children tied up, gagged, and blindfolded, images of children who appeared to be dead, hundreds of images of a boy from his church who had died of a brain tumor, a missing child flyer, boy's underwear, a blow-up doll wearing children's clothing, and journals in which he revealed his sick infatuation and later resentment of various young boys. In 2013, Ronald William Brown was sentenced to 20 years in prison for child pornography and conspiracy to kidnap and murder a child. Thankfully, Operation Holitna has saved over 160 children and arrested 51 abusers all around the world as of 2021. Ron died on August 5th, 2020 in prison at the age of 65, or at least we have to assume that. Because again, there is no information that I could find saying one way or another. I was unable to find what prison he spent the rest of his days in or what he died from. Now, as I've said several times, something about this story bothers me. The whole story is disgusting, but the fact that there is nothing on this man, no information about his upbringing, nothing about childhood experiences, familial or peer relationships, Absolutely nothing really just bothers me. So here's what we can sort of expand upon, if you will. What are some causes of necrophilia? According to the National Library of Medicine, National Center for Biotechnology Information, quote, a review of 122 cases, 88 from the world literature and 34 unpublished cases, manifesting necrophilic acts or fantasies. They distinguish genuine necrophilia from pseudo-necrophilia and classify true necrophilia into three types, necrophilic homicide, quote, regular necrophilia, and necrophilic fantasy. Neither psychosis, mental retardation, or sadism appears to be inherent in necrophilia. The most common motive for necrophilia is possession of an unresisting and unrejecting partner, think Dahmer. Necrophiles often choose occupations that put them in contact with corpses. Some necrophiles who had occupational access to corpses committed homicide nevertheless. Regular necrophilia refers to the sexually motivated abuse of corpses and is not considered as severe crime in many Western countries. However, the risk of, quote, switching to necrophilic homicides, in other words, committing a homicide to obtain a dead body, has to be assessed by forensic experts. So there you go. Now let's take a generalized look at cannibalism. 
According to the American Psychological Association Dictionary of Psychology, cannibalism is, of course, the consumption of human flesh by other humans. It is a pathological urge to devour human flesh, occasionally observed in schizophrenia, which we have covered a couple of serial killers with that affliction, such as the vampire of Sacramento, and similar mental disturbances, such as Wendigo psychosis, which is a syndrome which is characterized by delusions of becoming possessed by a flesh-eating monster a.k.a. the Wendigo, and is manifested in symptoms including depression, violence, a compulsive desire for human flesh, and sometimes actual cannibalism. Of course, I don't think Ron suffered with that particular psychosis. In classical psychoanalytic theory, cannibalistic impulses are associated with fixation at the oral biting phase of psychosexual development, which is the second phase of the oral stage of psychosexual development between roughly 8 to 18 months of life. Okay, so during this phase, the child begins to feel that he or she is an autonomous person, develops ambivalent attitudes toward their mother, and expresses hostility by biting her breast or the nipple of a bottle. In later childhood, the urge to bite may take the form of nail biting, spitting, sticking out the tongue, or chewing on a pencil or gum, also called oral sadistic phase. Now, here is something that caught my attention. There was one photo in particular of Ron that looked to be from maybe the early 2000s, and it was obvious that he bit his nails. The nails were short enough, bitten down enough, that the meaty end of his fingers were nearly rounding over the tip of the nail. I'm, I'm sure you can visualize. So perhaps there is something to that. But again, any guesses are just that. Guesses. So then we go on to the next one, looking at pedophilia. It is a paraphilia, meaning persistent and recurrent sexual interests, urges, fantasies or behaviors of marked intensity involving objects, activities, or even situations that are atypical in nature. Pedophilia is actually sort of an umbrella term and is broken down into subcategories, but Ron does fit under the true pedophilia category as he seemed to want children much younger than even prepubescent. We heard a lot of evidence with toddlers and very young children described. And believe it or not, according to the DSM-5, pedophilia can be diagnosed even if there has been no acting out on it. Most are all male, of course, but there is a very small, small percentage of women who are pedophiles as well. So possible motivational factors include social anxiety, poor self-confidence, or other personality traits that inhibit appropriate sexual relations with adults, along with the, quote, abused abuser theory, and the estimates of the incidence of childhood sexual abuse in pedophiles' histories range from 40 up to 100%. Abnormalities in frontotemporal regions of the brain have also been documented using several different types of scans, as have subcortical abnormalities in the amygdala and related limbic structures. And if you've been with me for long, abnormalities in the amygdala should sound familiar. But really, several factors may come into play in any one person, but individual pedophiles may differ widely in their psychological profile. Okay, an article written for Psychology Today states, quote, 
there is some evidence that pedophilia may run in families, though it is unclear whether this stems from genetics or learned behavior, end quote. Just trying to see if there might be a genetic component for Ron. Now, Ron swore that he never acted upon his urges, and to the best of my ability, I found no one that came forward stating he had ever abused them. So what in the hell is going on here? What is the story? Tell me, guys, what do you think? Leave me a comment or DM me on Instagram at serial underscore killing, or you can hit us up on the serial killing a podcast fan page on Facebook, which is growing rapidly, which I'm much appreciative of, so that we can discuss this because I would love to know what you guys think or if there are if there's anyone out there who knew him, knew of him, local to the area, has some kind of childhood anything and you want to remain anonymous, please hit me up. I'm dying to know. I will share what you say that I can. I will not share your name, obviously. Otherwise, thank you so much, guys, for listening because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you continue to choose me and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, guys, and have a great day. Uh, anybody who killed more than two or three people was a mass murderer. And whether it was all at one place or over an extended period of time, and then uh, in the early 80s, they came up with this differentiation called serial killing. 